in one of the rare things that's happening today, I will actually be pulling for the Boston Celtics, which is Jamal's team uh, today, which... Uh, and Marcus's team, yeah, I got that. Um, and I told both of them, I said, when I cheer for a team that I don't normally cheer for, it's usually the death nail for them, so I apologize in advance for that. But uh, we have, one of the, the things that I love about serving here is that I get to serve alongside a great team. Jonna and Stephanie and Lorraine and Adam and Rob, and I, I have so much fun serving alongside these amazing individuals. And one of the things that I enjoy so much about it is predominantly at our staff meetings, our staff meetings, we get things done. I think we get things done. Some on the staff might think, did we get anything done? But but uh, the bigger issue is this. There's always rich laughter. Rob will say some of the most uncanny things, and then I have to confront him on his lack of knowledge about particular events. But I share all of this with you because when we look at this passage that we're looking at today, relationships, friendships, and that's who I consider this this team of people that I get to serve with, some of my closest friends. Relationships, these friendships are so essential in life. There's a proverb that talks about the importance of friendship. There's a proverb that talks about how, how the, uh, when a friend confronts another friend, it is, more, it is more enjoyable, more meaningful than perhaps anything else that one can have in life. And so I invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 11 as we look at these friends of Jesus Christ named Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And we enter into their experience, and it's midway through, we enter into their experience where Jesus Christ shows up. We start at verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother, he will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Father, we pray now as we hop into this time of looking at your word, we would ask that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we may see, open our ears that we may hear, Open our minds that we may understand and open our hearts that we would be transformed to be the people that confidently proclaim that you are the resurrection and the life. Holy Spirit, make it so that no one hears anything that I say, but that they would only hear what it is that you want them to hear and need them to hear. And we pray in all of this that, Lord Jesus, you would be glorified, the resurrection and the life. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
There is no getting around this about Jesus Christ while he walked the face of the earth. And it's this very thing. He was a busy, busy individual. He was interrupted period, he was interrupted so often that, that it would be a rarity for him to have a day or two that he was not, did not experience some type of various interruption along the way. Few examples are these. On his way to heal the daughter of, of a guy by the name of Jairus, on his way going there, He's interrupted by a lady who has a, has a bleeding condition. Uh, she can't stop her bleeding. And, 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 and Jesus stops. He stopped and he, and he heals her. Jesus Christ attends a wedding reception in John chapter 2. And in the middle of the wedding re- reception, they're going to run out of wine. And all of a sudden, Jesus is simply there to have a good experience to celebrate this wedding. And yet the Father, poorly planned... And he poorly planted in such a way that he didn't have enough wine. So Jesus is called into action. And he turns water into wine. There's a moment where Jesus wants to, to hang out with his apostles. They had done some great things. They had cast out demons. They had gone to these different areas and done amazing things. Brought about healing in different people's lives. They were exhausted. And Jesus says, upon them returning, he says, Hey, let's get away for a little while. Just the 13 of us. We're going to enjoy some time together. You can get recuperated, rejuvenated. You're, we'll, we'll have a wonderful time. So, so they go. They're starting to have a great quiet time. And then what happens? Five to ten thousand people of their close, five to ten thousand of their closest friends decide to crash the party. Jesus is pressed into action, and Jesus ends up taking five loaves and two fish and feeding upwards of ten to thirteen thousand people, if you include women and children. Jesus Christ was constantly being interrupted. And we come to this place in John chapter 11, verse 17, where Jesus has been informed in verse 6 that Lazarus, and notice what it says, a friend of Jesus, he's been informed that Lazarus is not doing well. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't immediately get up and go. This has baffled people for, for centuries, for perhaps even since, since the time it happened, because you're thinking, wait a second, you're Jesus Christ, you have a good friend, and he's in trouble, and yet you're not going to move. So when Jesus comes into the scene, things are already going badly. And we might want to think, well, let's give Jesus a little bit of a break because obviously Bethany and Jerusalem were really far apart. They were only two miles away. Jesus is two miles away. A friend, he's informed that a good friend of his is dying and Jesus decides to stay put. Are there not times in your life and in my life where we cry out to Jesus? And remember, Jesus calls us friends. We cry out to Jesus, and Jesus seems to stay put. That's what seems to be going on here. And so Jesus now shows up, and and no, he doesn't go into, into, into the house where Mary and Martha are. He stays on the outskirts of the city, but in, within that house, it is a full house. And we're not talking about the cute TV show that came out decades ago. But we're talking about a full house. People are there mourning and grieving. And the reason why they're mourning and grieving is because we pick it up in verse, uh, I'm sorry, 
in verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Jesus had already been in the tomb for four days. There's this full house of people caring and mourning with Mary and Martha. Jesus comes into the town. And a few things to go over real quickly to help us set the context of what's going on here. The first thing is this. Jewish burial customs required this, that the body would be buried quickly. When you died, they prepped you and they put you in the tomb perhaps within hours of that happening. We don't need to look too far. I mean, we look at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus have Jesus in the tomb within hours of Jesus dying on the cross. So first off, the dead were buried quickly. And as soon as the dead body was removed from the house, every piece of furniture in that house was reversed. And everyone for the next number of days would sit on the ground if you came to visit. They would mourn over this person. And, the way, and part of the way they symbolize that is by saying, we have had our world turned upside down, therefore we're turning our furniture away in such a way that you can't sit on it because we have lost a loved one. A significant period of deep mourning lasted for seven days. During those seven days, the following were expected of you. The first is this, you were forbidden to wash yourself. Now notice when Jesus shows up, it's day four. Now I don't know about you, but me going more than 24 hours without washing myself, without taking a shower, I'm not exactly the most pleasant person to be around. For four days, Martha has not washed herself. It was forbidden. The other thing is this, is that for those seven days, you were forbidden to do any type of work or studying. Now, for students, it's like, this sounds awesome. What a great deal. Even perhaps for some of you that are in jobs that you really don't enjoy that much, you're going, man, when is a loved one going to die so I can get some time off? I know I'm sounding a little little, uh, cynical here, but, but my point is, nothing happened. No study, no work. And lastly, and this one's an interesting one, I think, you were forbidden to put on shoes. No shoes which made traveling around a little bit more of an inconvenience, not that they had Nikes and Reeboks and things like that back then, but but it made things a little bit more inconvenient. This deep mourning is going on. And as this deep mourning is going on, Jesus is nowhere to be found. And here's another thing. How important is it to comfort the sick and the mourning? Listen to this quote by a guy by the name of Maimonides. He was a Jewish scholar and he says this, to visit the sick or the mourning takes precedence over all good works. Over all good works, for you to go visit a sick person or for you to bring comfort to somebody who's, who's lost a loved one, that supersedes anything and everything. Yet Jesus Christ decides to stay put. There are a whole lot of questions here. And so Martha approaches him, and we pick it up in verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. 
Martha comes to Jesus and she is just, she is completely straight up with him and she she makes the proclamation that Jesus if you had been here things would be different. And Jesus responds to her and says, "Your brother will rise again." Martha has an understanding of what's going on here, but yet before we get to that, I want to applaud Martha on a number of things, but, but one of the things I want to applaud her on is this, is how straight up she is and how authentic she is with Jesus Christ. She doesn't ask him, why weren't you here? You heard that we had an issue. Why weren't you here? Why would you wait? Why would you wait? You knew what you could do. You knew we needed your help. We were calling out to you, and yet you stayed put. Jesus loves her authenticity. He is not put off by her authenticity. He can handle our feelings. Sometimes I think we get caught up in, in, this, in this area where we're frustrated. Where, and and I've I got to be careful how I say this. But we get so confused about the way Jesus Christ operates that we don't know how to communicate with Him. All of us have had experiences in our lives where we've cried out to Jesus and it seems like Jesus isn't there. It seems like Jesus doesn't care. In my own life, I can't tell you how many times I asked Jesus question after question about the three different miscarriages that Don and I experienced. And many of you in this in the sanctuary this morning, have had a similar experience as well. The times that I spent praying and praying and praying about something going on in my life as a parent and seeing the heartache that's going on in Heidi's life or Stephanie's life and wanting Jesus to change that and yet at the same time, nothing seemed to change. The times that I prayed for a friend to come to know Jesus Christ the author and perfecter of all faith, the one who can give hope in a hopeless situation, the times that I've spent praying over these particular friends, saying, Lord, please reach into their lives. Use me to impact them. Help them see this amazing grace that you have. Help them experience this new life that only can happen through you. And, and so often, nothing budges in their life. We cry out to God. And there are times when it does not seem to register. It's okay to be confused. I want you to know that. And it's okay to tell Jesus how frustrated or how, 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 ang- how, how anxiety-filled you are. Don't hold back. Jesus Christ can handle your feelings. You're not alone. Look throughout God's Word and you will see person after person after person trying to figure out where God is in the midst of all that's going on and the chaos of life. And you will find this to be true. Look what Mary says. You will find this to be true. That even though He seems to be quiet, look what she says in verse 22. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Martha does not hold back from allowing her feelings to be expressed, but she also does not allow her feelings to dictate how she believes God can operate. She allows the facts of God working through Jesus Christ to continue to rule in that situation. 
I don't have all the answers on why you're going through what you're going through at this particular time in life or, or different experiences that you've had in life that have been filled with pain. But I can tell you this, that God's in the midst of it. And He invites us to be authentic with Him. He can handle our feelings. My senior year at Wheaton College, we were nine weeks from graduation. And our senior class was rocked by a classmate deciding to take their life. Now, Wheaton is approximately 2,500 students. That's how many students go there. And our graduating class had approximately seven 700 people in it. And when word traveled about this classmate committing suicide, it rocked us to the core. And the chaplain at Wheaton at that time, Vic Gordon, he, he instantly got the word around, and this is before Facebook and texting and all this kind of stuff, got the word around and he said, we're going to have a prayer meeting tonight in the chapel. The chapel was packed. And Vic opened up this prayer meeting by saying this, Jesus Christ can handle your emotions. Jesus Christ can handle you right now with whatever you're feeling and the angst and the, and the anger and perhaps the confusion and the, and the discouragement you have. He can handle it right now. But we're going to spend time praying. Because in the midst of our confusion, in the midst of our anger, in the midst of our disappointment, in the midst of wondering why on earth these types of things happened, Vic looks at us and he says, don't hide behind a facade that everything's okay. Because I know that not everything's okay. And for the next number of hours, I've been in plenty of prayer meetings in my life, but that one prayer meeting was one of the most authentic, raw, emotion-filled prayer experiences I've ever had. And in the midst of it, through the course of that time, God began to do a healing work. I ask you this morning, are you being authentic with Jesus? about what's going on in your life? Or are you hiding behind a facade thinking that He can't handle what's going on in your life? Because I want you to know this, based on God's Word, and based on what we know to be true about Jesus Christ, He can handle it. Be real with Him. Be up front with Him. And let Him do the work that only He can do. Because when we allow Him to do the work, we gain a fuller understanding of how great He truly is. And so she says, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus' response to her is this, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. There was a belief in Jewish culture that there was an afterlife. There was a belief in Jewish culture that there was a resurrection, but it was going to be a future event. It was going to happen somewhere down the road. And as you read the history of the Jewish people, it is not one that is, that is, that is filled with nothing but joy and, and, and rainbows and warm fuzzy feelings. It is a history that is filled with isolation. It is a history that is filled with pain. It is a history where they wonder at times, has God given up on them? And for the Jewish people, they knew there had to be a resurrection because God was with them, but it was going to be a resurrection when everything was going to get taken care of. The wicked were going to be dealt with and the righteous themselves would be resurrected and living with Him forever. 
So she knows that this is going to happen. But look at what Jesus says in verse 25. He wants her to realize there's more going on here, Mary, than what you're getting right now. He says this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha's view of the resurrection was a future event. Jesus Christ's view of the resurrection is a now event. He doesn't say, I will be the resurrection and the life. Or I was the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. We have a Jesus who is involved in the nows of our lives. He wants to infuse your now with resurrection and life. With hope. With peace. With power. And with the ability to keep on going. Don't think that it is some far off experience. Yes, it is, but it is also a now experience. It always is and it always will be. And because Jesus Christ is with us, notice what he says, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And Martha's response is, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And the nows of her life are about to be addressed. She doesn't have to wait for a resurrection. She gets to experience that resurrection now. Do you need that truth in your life today? Do you need that resurrection hope in your life today? Because He will offer it to you. Not only will He offer it to you, He does offer it to you. He is the resurrection and the life. Verse 28, after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to Him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. So Martha shares with Jesus this authentic exchange. Jesus responds by saying, I'm the resurrection and the life. And then he asks her if she believes that who he is. And she said, yes, I do. And then she takes off to go get Mary. She arrives at the house. She says, Mary, Jesus is, ta- is calling for you. Mary leaves. And she isn't only going by herself. This incredible full house of people are going with her. And I want you to notice, she says almost verbatim the same thing that Martha says here. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And we almost anticipate Jesus responding to her the same way he does with Mar- same way he does with Martha, where he says, "Listen, your brother will live again. He will rise again. I'm the resurrection and life." We're expecting that type of a response, but look what happens in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. 
We didn't expect that. And it's interesting in our English translations how they have taken this powerful Greek word and toned it down so much. Jesus sees her weeping and he sees this huge crowd of people weeping with her. And we're told that he's deeply moved in spirit and in troubled. The Greek word there for deeply moved and troubled is the Greek word used to describe a horse snorting in anger when it's irritated or annoyed. Jesus isn't simply deeply moved and troubled. He is upset. He's upset that this experience that he just had with Martha, he wants to have, I believe, that same type of experience with Mary where it's just the two of them talking. But this humongous group of people is coming with them and we don't get this very well. But yet, back in their culture, what's going on is this, is that the more people that showed up to mourn over someone gave that person who recently passed away more honor. And the louder the weeping was, the more honor was due them. So Jesus could hear this crowd of people through the streets of of Bethany coming their way, and Jesus is realizing, wow, this is a little bit more than what I was anticipating. And this crew of folks, and here's what's really sad about this, this crew of folks that came to mourn with Mary and Martha, this crew of folks were paid to be mourners. It was their job. Imagine filling that out on your W-2. Or your 1040. I, I don't have my IRS things locked in. But your job description, what do you do for a living? I'm a professional mourner. Can you imagine? I, I got to tell you, you're not going to be on my list of, I really want to hang out with you a lot. Because they're mourning all the time. They were paid to mourn. And so Mary comes here with this crowd of people around her. And Jesus' response is one of irritation and annoyance. Doesn't really fit with what we think of Jesus Christ being this compassionate, grace-filled individual. But he's upset with them. He's upset. And he says, where have you laid him? Come and see, they replied. And then verse 35. Jesus wept. Arguably the most memorized verse in the entire Bible. Jesus wept. We read this verse and we say, oh, isn't that so nice? Jesus is weeping with Mary and this crowd of people. He really loves them. He cares about them. That's all true. But when we keep it there, we, we miss out on the context of what's going on. Because keep this in mind, Jesus is not happy right now. He's upset with the charade that's going on with these people caring for Mary. A Greek word used here that says that he is like a horse being upset and irritated. And now he weeps. And we want to say, wow, that is incredible compassion. I don't argue with that at all. But when we forget the context, we miss the bigger understanding. Verse 36. See how he loved him. 
But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? The reason for the tears is far more than what we think it is. Outside of the resurrection being discussed in John, so often in John's Gospel, and justifiably so, there is one miracle that gets more press than any of the other miracles that Jesus Christ did. And it's the miracle of the man who was born blind being given sight. There's no other miracle that comes close to that in John's Gospel. And so this amazing experience that no one had ever seen done before. And why is it so significant? It's significant because it is one of the clearest signs that the Messiah is now here. It was believed that one of the signs for the Messiah being there, that this Messiah is a real Messiah, was the ability to give sight to a person born blind. Jesus Christ has done that. And yet the people in verse 37 say, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? I submit to you, the reason, the bigger reason why Jesus Christ is weeping isn't just because of compassion for Mary and Martha, but it's he's crying over the unbelief of these people's hearts. He weeps over our unbelief. He weeps over it because he's at a place where he says, what more do I need to do? And all of us struggle with this. Jesus Christ has done everything. And yet we continue on in our doubt and our unbelief. One of the most powerful prayers in the Gospels is this, Lord, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. It's a prayer that I pray almost every single day. And that's what's going on here. Jesus is weeping over their unbelief. And now we come to verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha... By this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus Christ is about to, Jesus Christ is about to help all of those there experience the fullest freedom they could ever experience. And Martha says, as Jesus says, as Jesus asked them to take away the stone, Martha makes this incredibly, incredibly obvious statement when she says, Lord, you know, it's going to smell in there. Everybody knows it's going to smell in there. Everybody does. So why would John include that phrase in here? He doesn't need to include that in here, but John includes that phrase in here because of this. Yes, everybody knows that the tomb stinks, but he's also reminding everybody that the fallenness of the result of humanity's fallenness always stinks. Our sinfulness always stinks. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out a tomb with a dead body in it is going to smell after a few days. But John is saying, I want you to understand the, 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 the consequences of what humanity has done when it fell 
in Genesis chapter 3. I want you to understand that your sin, it stinks. And it eventually leads to a place where it's really stinky. The stink of anxiety is filled with the desire to control the situation with all of our effort so that we won't lose control. The stink of unforgiveness leads to broken relationships. The stink of greed leaves the needs of those in need of our generosity ignored. The list goes on and on and on. Every single sinful thing that we do, it stinks. My sin stinks. Your sin stinks. The world wants to skirt around this issue, but the reality is we're in a situation because we have fallen out of God's grace, of God's original ideas. And so Jesus knows this and they take away the stone and then He says this, Father, I thank You that You've heard me. I knew that You always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that You sent me. The miracles that Jesus Christ performs are never for self-promotion, but they always point to God's grace and glory. When God moves, when Jesus Christ does these miracles, we can sit there and say, wow, isn't that impressive that He turned water into wine? But there's a deeper thing, and it's to draw glory to God. It's to say, look at how awesome God is. And so when He speaks into the tomb, the words, the words that He said, Lazarus, come out. When He speaks into that tomb, those words reverberated throughout the community of Bethany. Words that reached into the deepest depths of the consequences of humanity's sinfulness. Words that entered a tomb that smelled horribly, yet those words had a life-giving aroma to them. Words that were not spoken by someone hoping for a good result, but from someone who makes the claim that I am the resurrection and the life. So when he speaks into that tomb and says, Lazarus, come out, there's no holding Lazarus back anymore because Jesus Christ's words penetrate into the stink of all of our lives and say, I am the resurrection and the life, and I want to give you hope now. That's the way He operates. It's His words reaching into the stench of our lives that rescue us. You may be here today thinking, my life really stinks. And you know what? You're probably right. But no matter how much you think your life stinks, Jesus Christ's words can penetrate into that stench and bring you resurrection and life. He doesn't sit back. He's not intimidated. He enters into it and calls you out. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Lazarus needs help getting out of these grave clothes. It would be an odd experience to sit down with Lazarus with the grave clothes on because he's not going to be able to do much. It would be a little bit off-putting to have Lazarus show up at our barbecue with still the grave clothes on. Nobody's going to probably want to sit with him. But we are to be a community that takes off the grave clothes of those that God brings into our lives. We are to be a community that reaches in to those people's lives who are coming here wondering if anyone cares for them, wondering if there's a Jesus who cares about them. We are a community that says we will unwrap 
the grave clothes. We will walk through the process of getting you free. Because Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. And here's some irony, isn't it? Is, there's a little irony here. That in a matter of days after this particular event happens, Jesus Christ walked out of a tomb without any assistance of any one of us unwrapping Him. He is the resurrection and the life. He didn't need any help to rise from the dead. I'm going to put my trust and faith in the one who rose from the dead. And I'm going to put my faith and trust in Him to carry me through whatever comes our way and I invite you to do the same. Some of you in this room right now are wearing grave clothes that God's saying, you got to let me take them off. The grave clothes of anxiety. The grave clothes of unforgiveness. The grave clothes of, of, of not forgiving yourself. Of, of expecting more of yourself than, than, what is tr- than what is possible. The grave clothes of, of disappointment. The grave clothes of broken relationships. Some of you are here wondering, will Jesus Christ free you? And I'm here to tell you that He claims that He is the resurrection and the life and He will set you free. And we as a community have that opportunity to do that each and every day. So I ask you this morning, what grave clothes are holding you back? What are you wearing that Jesus Christ wants to set you free? Father, we pray as we consider these words, we ask that we would keep in mind that You are the resurrection and the life. That there is nothing that can hold You back. The grave couldn't hold You back. People's unbelief could not hold You back. Because You are the resurrection and the life. And it's my prayer that for those of us in this room that that are struggling mightily, with a variety of issues that that continue to hold us back, it's my prayer that Your Holy Spirit would work in such a way that You, the resurrection and the life, would set us free. And that we would rejoice and that we would then be used of You to help take the grave clothes off of others that You bring into our lives. Do Your work, Lord Jesus. And as we sing these next couple songs, may we sing them with great vigor, knowing that You are the resurrection and the life. It's in Your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.